Now it's time for Spot on Sports. Here's your host, Mike Trezza and Mike Cadone. Spot on Sports, New York's premier sports podcast where we talk sports, all New York sports, and nothing but sports. Heavy dose of Islanders playoff action tonight. Heavy dose of Nets playoff action tonight. We'll put a bow on the next season. A good dose of Mets, good dose of Yankees. We'll have John Santa Maria, our hockey reporter, to start the show. We'll have Chris Caputo, our new Mets reporter, later on the show. We're going to do all of that and more before we do any of it. Let me say hi to my co-host and show him some love, the coach, Mike Adone. Trez, is it possible to fit all of that in the show tonight? I mean, do we possible. have to expand to the two-hour version here? <laughs> no, no, no. What, no. A, what a better time. We're going to squeeze it all in in an hour and ten, Mike. Uh, great to have you here. Uh, you know, it's it's been too long, and, and there's so much to dig into, uh, especially with the Islanders now in the third-round series Tough loss at, uh, last night at home at the Coliseum. Before you and I get into it, let's bring on the phone with us our Islanders expert, the guy we call Johnny Sticks, John Santa Maria. John, how are you? Mike and Mike, good evening, guys. How are you? All right, great. So game threes, John, uh, in this particular postseason have not been kind to the Islanders. What happened last night? Tampa Bay did a good job of making adjustments from the first period. It certainly was able to. It was a Islanders uh, attack to definitely start the game. One thing the Lightning did, they tightened the defense up. They paid a lot of dividends in the second period. I mean, you can say, too, even late in the first, where they were able to create the second goal, the eventual game winner. Well, that's, wait a minute, that was in the, was in the second period. The, this goal that was the eventual game winner, the 2-1 to one goal. But then when you look at it, too, Camp is a team. This is a it, it, one thing we could say this postseason. The Islanders saw three different types of teams. You saw an inexperienced group in some regards with Pittsburgh. You saw the veteran, experienced group with Boston, and now you have the team who won the Stanley Cup last year in Tampa Bay Lightning. So adjustments are the key. Tampa did that. That's why they won last night. John, I want I know you wanted me to mention just to go back to Game Two in Tampa for a minute that play where Tampa scored and it turned out had too many men on the ice. I've never seen Barry so furious. He was really ticked off after that play. Uh, take us through that sequence. Well, I've never seen a too many men on the ice called miss because especially the way the reps are positioned. It's clearly something that you don't want to happen. But the one thing that I was concerned about, and it really hasn't come out yet, unless it's not, written in the rules, which it looks like it isn't, and the fact that that cannot be challenged. So that's something that may need to be discussed in the offseason, is expanding replay review to possible missed penalties. John, you know what? I, I wanted to ask you about the goaltending situation, especially uh, with the opponent with Tampa Bay. You know, it's very interesting when you look at, at the opponents, as you were mentioning before, each round you're taking a little bit of a step up in, in experience and obviously in talent level. When you are, are looking at Andre Vasilevsky, who's, you know, Vesna Trophy finalist, uh, really one of the top goalies, if not the top goalie in the NHL, how do you solve a guy like that? Or is it is it really not about solving 
that and, and just about getting some better chances against a great defensive team like Tampa Bay. What What is the Islanders' approach here? Well, one thing I'll say about that, Gillespie, he's clearly probably one of my favorite goaltenders to watch. He's probably top three in the league if I had a look at it. So pretty much the same way you could say how you how you probably played Marty Grodor or Patrick Ross, some of those guys in the past. So you have to attack. You have to shoot the puck. And one thing we have talked about in the past, how the Islands like to pass the puck, puck movement, trying to set up the best opportunity. No, no. You're starting in game four tomorrow night. They need to find a way to attack more. And you saw bits and pieces of that. And as Tampa adjusts, the Islanders need to adjust too. And one thing I will I will say that I'd like to see, maybe start to think about putting uh, Oliver Wallstrom back in the lineup if they feel he's a, he's a goal. Not sure for who. I mean, Dejak's played well. Kamaroff has played well. Maybe spark something up, bring a little bit more juice, bring something that they have, Tampa has not seen. They did not see him last year. did not see him this year. Bring something, maybe just spark the lines up a little bit, pick some things up, and that could be one of the things. You know, great job also last night by Tampa Bay, third period. Up 2-1, to one, they were pretty uh, happy with just kind of sitting back and saying, hey, we're going to play with this one goal lead. Islanders picked it up, but uh, what was really uh, the marked difference there in that third period was the amount of blocked shots that Tampa Bay was able to, to, to you know, succeed with. Um, it's almost as if these teams are very, very mirror images of each other, but Tampa is just a little bit bigger, just a little bit faster. And, you know, they didn't seem, uh, you know, phased by the moment whatsoever. One more key word there. Well, how about also a little bit more experience? Experience, yeah. Absolutely. That's certainly a big thing, and that's something that comes with time. And I think for so many years, you saw Tampa Bay come up short in the playoffs. Not find figure out how to wait to wait. Remember, they used to have Ben Bishop in goal, oh, yeah. uh, and they, then they go to Vasilevsky. That was a step up. Even it took a couple of postseasons for them bringing in and then making some trades, bringing in McDonough. It's just a matter of clicking and figuring things out at the right time. So you would hope that the Islanders take that experience and just continue to build on it. And I'm not saying I'm not looking down on anything. This is a long series, but say this goes to a, uh, another six, seven game win or loss. You're still going to learn something from here, whether it's for the next opponent or even in the next year, because we could tell watching this, this could be what, and people are even saying, you're, you're seeing a lot of talk around. This is probably right now the new captain of the Eastern Conference. You know, as, as a lifelong Islander fan and someone who attended so many games at the Coliseum, it's great, obviously, that we're hosting these games here at semifinals of the, of the league. We haven't, you know, we were in it last year, but it was in the bubble. So I believe we haven't hosted a semifinal home game last night. Was 93. The first, 93, exactly. So where I'm going with this is on the, game one, I happened to be listening on Sirius XM, shameless plug, but we don't know them anything. Uh, I happened to be listening to the, the feed on NHL Network from Tampa Bay. And what I was struck by was uh, it sounded, first of all, their announcers um, they could have been calling like you know guys grocery games uh, on. They, it was so. Do mis- guys have grocery games? Guy Fieri's grocery <laughs> games. Uh, oh, I, come I, on, Mike. Talking, oh, okay. Are we talking? Right. Hold on, hold on. Are we talking radio? Are uh, we talking the radio? Part? They're radio. Yes, they're radio. And yes. boy, Dave Raymond is the, oh. Raymond's the play-by-play guy. Yeah, My goodness, he, he could be very kind. But Phil wow. Esposito, one of the one of the great players in the NHL, older gentleman too. Yes, and uh, oh. listening to a few of the local shows on yeah. here, I heard some highlights. It's like 
It's like, yeah, Esposito definitely doesn't look like he wants to be there for sure. I think he told it. And then I'll say this all the time, too. We could say this about our, about the, the guys who call the games here in New York. I mean, I know Chris King, the Islanders radio announcer, for many, many years. And he is he loves the Islanders just as much as we all do. And sure. I couldn't be happier for him that he gets the call of the game. But the passion, the dedication, you see that when Howie calls the Islanders, when Howie does the best game. And Gary Cohen on TV. You see the love for Michael K. calling Yankee games. And Mike Green calling Knicks games. And, I mean, if you're not going to show that kind of love, it's your job. It's your job. I don't care if you're banking gross. Show that dedication to making that living. Then you know what? You're not in the right profession. And I'm not bashing. I'm not trying to say anybody in Tampa is doing anything wrong. That's their thing. That's their people. But, you know what? This is round three of the Stanley Cup playoffs, one of the best postseasons ever. It's important to show energy. It's important to your fans. Definitely. Hey, uh, John, my, my buddy Russ, who's listening and who commented us, uh, agrees with you. He says too many men on the ice should be challengeable. He also thinks that Mike Godone stole his Islanders jersey. Now, I'm going to tell you, Russ, Mike would never do that. I would do that, but no. not Mike Godone would never do it. And you don't want to mess with Russ. He's a, Mike, he's a rough I guy, man. For, I have an extra jersey because of the needs. I have to go. Uh, Mike Godone. <laughs> Mike Sedone would remember this one. Remember the old orange throw third jersey from like 2002? Oh, absolutely. Oh, uh, that's one that, I made sure I bought, and it still fits to this day. Well, don't don't you ever let anybody borrow it or give that thing away. But, uh, John, uh, just let me ask you, um, now that we're going to game four, and, and you're actually going to game four. Um, yes, I will be there tomorrow night. I'm very excited to go. That's fantastic. Feel safe. Feel safe with the restrictions. So, yes, it took some time, but obviously – the right restrictions are in place. Um, I can't wait to be in there. And who knows? Maybe Zach Wilson will follow me in. Well, I'm glad we had you on before that game four and not after because you probably would have no voice left. But game four, if I'm not mistaken, John, was about the time in the Boston series that Barry made some adjustments and started switching up the lines. Do you anticipate anything like that uh, tomorrow night or for the rest of the series? Well, it's been done in both series, too, and absolutely. Uh, game four is what I'd like to call a swing game. That's where you know, that's where you can really dictate where the series is going. If you get the series even up, it essentially puts everything back at zero zero, and you're playing the best of three. So that is the time to make adjustments. And that's why I said maybe the idea of bringing Oliver Wallstrom back in, tweaking a couple of the forwards on the line, maybe mix up some deep pairs. That's the time to do it. I don't anticipate a goaltending change. I do not think Elias Sorokin is probably, I mean, he's played well enough this year. I don't think throwing him in against Tampa Bay is the smartest thing to do right now. Pajot with 11, uh, with 13 points. Josh Bailey with 12. Um, Beauvillier oh, with 11. Barzal has been scoring the last few games in a row. Is there anybody, John, because – I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but I'm looking at Eberle saying, you know, maybe I'd like to see a little bit more from this guy. Is there any one guy of the offensive guys or even the defensive guys when you're watching um, and your your eye is much more trained than mine that you're saying to yourself, I want to see a little more from this guy? I think Eberle's in the position for Azella in the last round, waiting to break out, and maybe that'll come tomorrow night. And the other thing, this is not really an offense-defense type of thing. But I'd like to see Adam Pellet try and take less penalties. 
Yeah, that's true. You know, and, and it's funny, John, because you and I brought up before about that whole thing with the with the too many ice, uh, too many men on the ice. But I think it was Pellick in that same game who pushed the guy. I can't remember which guy on, on uh, Tampa it was. Maybe it was the guy Point uh, into Barlamov, and I felt like Pellick should have gotten a penalty on that play. What What did you think? Um, it, those are calls that can go either way. We've seen a lot of inconsistency out of the rest this year. And those are things that need to be worked out. The one thing that I'm, that really still hasn't been uh, really made note from the NHL, the refs have been zoned because of COVID. We don't know if that's still the case. I know they have a set bunch of officials up in Canada, so I don't know how much mixing and matching they have done with the crews. So it could be the combination of guys not working together, having different eyes and ears on things. John, I just want to ask you one last uh, nostalgic type question here. Tomorrow, you know, home game, obviously you're going to be there. Um, we don't want to jinx it, and I don't want to, uh, you know, get any bad mojo out there, but you have to recognize that it could possibly be the last game in, in Nassau Coliseum history. And, you know, going back, I'm going to take out here the obviously the Stanley Cups, the wins at home or, or even the big uh, my my top moment attending an Islanders game. I'm going to show my age here as well. Uh, Ken Morrow, first game coming out oh, of after yeah. Ken Morrow his first, going back there. My first game, yep, and that was the year you know of their first cup. Yeah, well, okay, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, I hope you're enjoying your last moment here on the show. No, okay. uh, yeah, big. I wish though the point is I wish I could have experienced yeah. all that. Well, That's let me let me tell you something. That was that was amazing because at that time, also you know the the fans hadn't gotten used to winning winning cups. Uh, there was there was just so much energy. Not not that really, you know, people got jaded by that. But Kenny Morrow, yeah, his his first home game coming out of the uh, you know the Miracle on Ice, it was unbelievable. What would be in in your you know as a as a younger quote unquote Islander fan, what would be one of your top moments that that you witnessed in person at the Coliseum? Well, I'll give you a couple. So game wise, going as a fan, nothing stands out to me more than being in the Coliseum for Sean Bates' penalty shot. Yeah. Well, oh, you was, were there for that. Wow, that, that'll, that'll be my number one. That'll be my number one. And, and the only thing that will pop out is if the Islanders won a Stanley Cup this year. Yeah, that's that. That's hard to beat. I'll tell you for sure. Uh, and then obviously, I have a lot of lot, a lot of memories. Uh, former season holder um, in the past, so I have that. Um, but if I had to say anything else, I mean, I think the time I could say when I was an intern at SNY and I got to go and I got to go uh, cover the team uh, with, with them and have a media credential and sit up in the press box, that was during the, uh, the lockout season in 2013. Okay. And they went to the playoffs. They lost six games to Pittsburgh that year. But one thing I will say about the Islanders organization, they are the nicest bunch of people you'll ever meet, players, employees. Um, and obviously having a long-time relationship with Chris King, their radio announcer, so certainly uh, that's a big step. And then uh, even the times of the games, I've gotten to meet Howie Rose in the booth, him with Nicoletti when they were working together. And um, I know of Brendan Burke, the play-by-play announcer. Now I've met Coach Doring many times, so I have a good, rela- I have good relationship with those people. They're, they're wonderful. Shannon Hogan is as nice as they come as far as, um, reporters, and then just being in that press box and just experiencing a playoff game and how crowded it was up there. Because remember, this is the college. There's no room in that. There was no room in those press boxes. So it was cool to experience it. And the fact that they ran out of seats 
with something else. Just one more for me, John. Uh, and again, as Mike said earlier, I don't want to jinx anybody, but if you had your preference, if you do get through this round, do you want to play Montreal or do you want to play Vegas? It doesn't matter. It's like, you know what? It doesn't matter either way. You're, you're happy you're at the end of the dance to be there. But one thing I will say, because this has been such a unique year and different year, I would, the only reason why I would say I would love to see the Canadians. I would love to see the Canadians. That would be cool. That would be very cool. Because you're never going to see it again. Unless the league is crazy realigned. You're never, and the same goes for Tampa. Because they play in the same division normally. You're never seeing that again. That's a great point. Very yeah. good point. And, and I, I just am not a fan of 115 degrees uh, outside the hockey arena <laughs> like it's been in Las Vegas. I mean, uh, heat is one thing, but my goodness, yeah, I think a Montreal Islanders uh, Stanley Cup final would be the thing that dreams are made of. As people who live out there like to say, though, it's, it's a dry. very dry, it's dry heat. Yeah, it's a dry heat. All right, John. The same goes in Arizona if you're playing. And one thing you have to worry about, too, I'm sure, I'm sure in those parts of the country, how will the ice will play? Yeah. Terrific job, John. Enjoy your dinner. Enjoy the game tomorrow night. And we'll talk to you along the way. Let's go, Islanders. We'll talk to you when we're on probably another week or two. We'll have that figured out by tonight. All right, Mike. All right, guys. Thank you. And uh, we'll be in touch. Thanks, right. John. Say hi to uh, the Karate Kid if he's there again tomorrow with uh, Jimmy Fallon, all of a sudden an Islander fan. <laughs> and or Dan Feeney, Dan Feeney, Zach Wilson, you never know. Maybe Coach Fowler will be sitting with me. You never know. That would be great. All right, John. Thanks. Bye. So the other team, Mike, we have to dig right into that's really, really deep into the playoffs is your favorite oh, local team. Oh, my favorite team. team, yes. Yes, the Brooklyn Nets. <laughs> now, again, I want – People to comment us, folks, uh, live on Facebook, live on YouTube. Comment me. And if you comment me and tell me that you think this series against the Milwaukee Bucks was going seven, I'm going to come back and comment you <laughs> that you're full of crap. All right. Mike Adone didn't think this was going seven. So talk to me about this series, Mike, and the unexpected turns that it's taken. All right. So first of all, let's let's start here. Yes, the Nets are not my favorite team. However, um, I do have a rooting interest for them, selfishly for us. Correct. Um, you know, and it helps us out. But um, first impression, obviously. Um, you have to look at Kevin Durant's performance uh, the other night. I mean, otherworldly. I mean, just unbelievable. Um, probably, you know, as Steve Nash was saying in the post game, could have been his, his his greatest all-time game. And this is a guy coming off, you know, missing an entire season. Um, there's no doubt the guy is a warrior. Doesn't make the best social media decisions. Maybe he's not uh, the most mature cat in the world, but a little thin-skinned at times. A little bit, but yeah. I mean, really, he he, you know. He, he was able to stand up, take the team literally on his back with a limited James Harden, who I'll get to in a second. Um, but, yeah, I mean, all the credit in the world. But, you know, would you think roster against roster, would this be, you know, seven games at the beginning? No. But I have to give them credit. Uh, we can break down, and, and I'm sure we will here in just a second, last night's game. It's a couple of, as a, as a coach myself, a couple of glaring stats. Uh, you know, I'm – I'm not going to second guess Steve Nash because he's a you know he's an all time great and he's got them here and um, he he looks as if he's coaching the team. I mean I know he's got great uh, great assistants on the bench, D'Antoni yeah. and whoever else. But but he he's you know he he's undoubtedly running the show during games. Uh, but some interesting things came up and, and we are going to talk about Kyrie Irving as well. 
Kyrie's injury, you know, uh, it's not a soft tissue injury. It's not something that was a lack of conditioning like some other players. Um, just bad luck. But, uh, you know, I, 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 I would really, I, I'd love to see him just at least put on a pair of sneakers and get out there for game seven. You know, j- just just show it for a few minutes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's let's stop and let, let me let me counter a couple of things that you said there because you said a, a couple really interesting things. Um, game three was a game that the Nets I really felt let get away, and they could have stepped on the necks of the uh, uh, stepped on the necks of the Bucks right there. Absolutely. Okay, and and they let that one get away, and it was almost as if, well, we'll let you win one at home, and then we'll come back tomorrow night and we'll beat you. And 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 nobody thought that um, that Irving was going to get hurt. Obviously, okay. Absolutely. So so here we go with. Um, with the Kyrie injury. And again, this might sound to people listening and watching like, oh, Trez is a net fan. He wants to see, you know, it's not about that. For me, right now, the way the NBA is officiated, Mike, when you put your foot underneath a jump shooter, that's either a foul or a flagrant foul. Now, again, we heard Van Gundy and Mark Jackson, both of whom you like and I like, um, really debating and digging into whether that should be even a foul. Van Gundy was very adamant. He said, that's not even a foul. Not only is that not a flagrant, that's not a foul at all. And this is on a jump shooter where the guy is actually coming forward as he's shooting. Now, Kyrie is going up for a layup, right? Absolutely. If you you go up for a layup, you're two feet from the basket. Chances are you're going to come back down in that same spot that you went up and um, what's his name? Giannis yeah. did not get called for a foul on that play, which I don't understand because any any league, any any basic basketball officiating, someone goes up, you got to allow them to come down before that, you can make any type. I mean, last night, how many how many four point plays did Chris Middleton get? Right, exactly for the same for for a lot less. So why are we doing that for a jump shooter, but we're not doing that for a guy who's two feet from the basket and is going to come down in exactly the same spot? It's a great question, and it, you have two superstars there, so it's not like we're trying to protect Giannis and you know it's just some slub going through the lane. You got to protect Kyrie in that in that position. At least give him give him two free throws. Um, I I watched that play you know quite a bit. I don't really believe that he did it intentionally. No, not intentionally. But but that's been that has been some discussion. Not by me. Okay, good, good. Uh, but you know, again, uh, foul, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, no, no doubt. No yeah, doubt. Yeah, and, and there's no call on that play. Now you can turn around and say to me, "Hey, Trez, how does that help you win that game if Kyrie's going to go out of that game anyway?" All right, so you're going to get a foul on Giannis, but. You know, listen, if we're going to do it for jump shooters, let's do it for guys that are that are in the lane or right to the right of the basket. I mean, that's a no-brainer to me. Absolutely. You, you talked about Durant's performance in that game four. I have to be honest with you. When I turned on that game, and for whatever reason, they've had uh, the Nets and the Islanders on yes. at the same time every night for a couple weeks now. Um, by the time I got to that net game, I was shocked that Harden was playing that game for. Were you surprised by that? Absolutely. I mean, everything beforehand was that he was not going to dress, not going to be out there. Um, you know, he went out, worked out a little bit. They actually had some tape of him shooting. Seemed like he got better and better. Um, you know, he, he was more of a decoy in that game. Last night, you saw some of the explosiveness. Uh, some of, he, he, 
I believe his first three he took, he got knocked down, popped right up. He was feeling much better. But this is where I want to jump into this just for a second, Mike, it is statistically. So Harden last night, five of nine, right, 40 minutes. He's got to shoot the ball more than nine times. I mean, even, even in his state, because you got Kevin Durant, 30 attempts, 15 of 30. Now, that, you know, you can't ask for anything more. The guy's shooting 50% from the field, 32 points, 0 for 2 from the free throw line. The, nobody else is in double-digit attempts for the Nets. You look at, at the Bucks, right? Let's look at the Bucks. Giannis, 20 attempts. Middleton, 16 attempts. Those Holl are the only two guys that are going to score. Holiday, 21 attempts. Oh, right? that's true. I forgot okay. about Holiday. So, so you're looking at now free throw line, 6 of 10 for Giannis. 11 of 12 for me. And 6 for 10 in this series is fantastic it, for it Giannis. It is unbelievable. He's not going to do that in Brooklyn. But <laughs> 11 and 12 for Middleton and 4 of 4 for Holiday. The Nets, where were they? 8 of 14. You can't take half the free throws. So obviously you're relying on 8 shots. of 14 in that's four last night? That's it. That's terrible, terrible. for them. Terrible. They're, they're a team that very often shoots 21 out of 22, 22 out of 23, 22 out of 25. I mean, they're a great free throw shooting right. team so because the, most of the time it's Kyrie or it's Durant or it's um, right. it's Harden. So they just decided all they could do last night was not attack the rim, shoot from outside, hope for the best. Um, and, and can we send out a search party for Joe Harris? Yeah, I was going to bring that up. Lord. With you. Joe Harris. The poor uh, guy. I mean, I feel bad for him, but Madon, can you can you make a shot? I pulled it up, Mike. In this series, he's shooting 41% from three, and I was surprised it was that good. I, I thought I it was that, much worse that, than that. That's a shocking stat. That's really surprising to me. I mean, this is a guy who shot 47%, led the league um, from three all season long. 41% in this series, and here's me, a Nets fan, who's shocked that it's that good. <laughs> All right, so here comes Harden in game four, right? To everyone's surprise, he looked terrible that game, Mike. Yes. And you said he was a decoy? Honestly, I don't think he was a decoy by design. I think he was a decoy because that was all he could do that night. I mean, Harden, you know this better than I do, on his best night, is not going to give you much in the way of defense. No. So if he's not scoring, why is he out there? He's out there for the three nice assists he had in the second half of that game? That's You're going to play 46 minutes for that? Uh, agreed. Agreed. I don't know. I don't know. You know, you got to obviously reward your superstar for lacing them up and getting out there. But um, if he's not giving you any type of production other than being that, somewhat decoy you, you got to yank him for a little bit absolutely you know it, it just i was looking at one more stat i'll tell you about joe harris you know plus minus so is bigger in hockey whatever else but basketball he was a minus 25 that's horrible last night. Minus, that's you horrible. cannot play 36 minutes and be a minus 25 and score nine points i'm no. sorry if joe is not hitting shots get him out from the three you have to get him out, and you have to get one of these other guys in. You have oh. to get uh, – Shamit has been very good in this series. At least the dude uh, can defend. Uh, Claxton, you know that I love. Yes. So here's what I would have done last night, Mike, and this is going to sound to you, and it's going to sound to Mike, our producer, and it's going to sound to everybody who's watching <laughs> or listening or ever will, like Trez is off his meds, okay? But this occurred to me before game six, and I want to ask you as a coach, would you ever – 
have done this, and I think you know where I'm going, would you have thought about, well, you know what? The one game in Milwaukee, we should have closed the deal. We didn't. The second one, we were shocked Kyrie got hurt, and, you know, obviously our energy was gone after that. We had no chance after that. We won a game at home that maybe we shouldn't have. Would you think about if you're Steve Nash, no Harden in game six, limited minute for limited minutes for Durant, and tell all the other guys, tell the role players, hey, you're playing heavy minutes tonight. You're playing heavy minutes tonight. We're going to rest Kevin for half the game. We're going to rest Harden for the whole game, and we're going to see if you guys can uh, push us to game or, or, or get it done in Milwaukee. It's great points, and I can see, obviously, where you're going with that for sure. 3-2, um, I'm up 3-2. I don't know if I'm going to do that. If I'm up 3-1, I'm going to seriously think about it. Okay, but three, you would two, never do that at 3-2 three, three, because three, you don't two. have a, a yeah, safety Yeah, there's just not enough cushion, and they had a little momentum having won that game, and you just you just got to go with it. And plus, you don't know what you're hearing you know, from, from the training staff. A guy like Harden, it might not at this point benefit him to sit. He's He might need those minutes just to stay loose. You know, and and I think about if they do win this series, he's not all of a sudden going to turn into the fittest guy in the world. I mean, he's he's got a hamstring injury that he's been nursing because he was thirty pounds overweight earlier in the season. I know, but to get you know what? I, out of, I out gotta, of Houston. I gotta uh, stop sorry, you there, Mike. In there. And I gotta push you back because the thing is, is that one last thing. Okay. We don't want you don't want me to rag out on this front. Can you maybe wear a uniform that's the proper size for you so that you don't look like you're wearing one that you're at least 15 pounds too heavy for? Okay. But here's the thing though, Mike. I know you like to to get on hardened about being out of shape, and that's great. Yeah, you're excusable. Mike, that's great. You're a coach. I would expect you to look at it from that standpoint. But here's the thing. While Kyrie Irving was off doing Kyrie things, as you like to say, absolutely, and Kevin Durant was hurt for three months with a with a um, uh, a hamstring injury. I watched James Harden kick everybody's ass every night. Absolutely, definitely can't fight you on that. So I mean, you know, when he was handling the ball and running the point mm -hmm. and, and driving to the basket, it was the closest thing I saw to like a uh, Lamar Jackson run-pass option, where it was unstoppable. Because if you came over to double him, he was dishing off, and most of the time it was for an alley-oop. If you didn't double him, he was going into the lane, putting up that floater. That was borderline unstoppable. True. And, and, and watching him gives hope to fat guys like <laughs> me that we could actually get something done. I'm watching Phil Nicholson, Phil Mickelson at 51 years old give hope to old guys like me, and then I'm watching James Harden give hope to fat guys like well, me. And, and so I'm having a great season, and you're bursting my bubble. Well, listen, you can you can try to play your way into shape in the NBA, and you know, in a Tuesday night February game against the Sacramento Kings, you might look like the greatest thing ever. But here we are, you know, second round of the playoffs against a team of the Milwaukee Bucks caliber, it's just tough. And if you tweak yourself, again, you know, I, I give him a lot of credit because he did. He carried them. He, he absolutely carried them. But could you imagine had he been in the shape that he should be? 
we wouldn't be having this discussion. No, nah, you're right. You're right. You make a good point there. Um, so let's get back to Kyrie for a second. You Do said, have to? yeah, you said earlier <laughs> that you wanted to see him. You want to see him in Game Seven, and yeah. you want to see him at least be able to give something, bring something to the table. Do you anticipate that's the way he's going to go down? I don't. Unfortunately, you I don't. I, I don't see it. No, everything, and it's it's nothing inside. Just everything I've heard is that he's done. He's not going to be out there. But you know what? What's leading to that point that I really hope he does, because if you look at, and again, I'm blessed because I have these stats right in front of me, but, you know, Shamit last night played 22. The next closest guy off the bench, five minutes. So why not, Kyrie, lace him up, get out there, even just play a couple of times up and down the court. Give the crowd a little boost. Give your teammates a little something. Even in the NBA, they need it. They need a little boost. All right? And, and then, you know, then then sit back. Even Just tape it up. Do what you got to do. Give me a couple times up and down the floor. Can you play six minutes? I mean, for Pete's sake, uh, you know, Chioza played five minutes last night. Give me six minutes. seven, Mike, you don't think he's going to get out there and give it a try for five, ten minutes? Why should I believe that that he will? Wow. Based on what? His stellar track record of, of showing up when he's supposed to? Wow. I mean, come I'm on. I'm down on him. All I right. am. Listen. I know I'm going to have Nick fans waiting outside the studio to beat me up if I say this. Is it possible? We're in Deer Park. <laughs> is it possible he's looking for some sort of Willis Reed moment where, um, of course, the Nets are down by you know twelve, uh, the end of the third quarter, four minutes left in the third, and here comes Kyrie running out of the locker room, running onto the court to give net fans in Brooklyn that Willis Reed moment. You think that's possible? It's possible. If he delivers that, let's do it. Then, then you, you know what? Then I'm going to give you credit. So when we're sitting back here next time, <laughs> I, I think that's the biggest question we're going to have to address. Trez is, is obviously Game Seven. This series, we'll talk about the Islanders, but who showed up, who didn't, and how did the game go? All right. So let's talk about if you are the Nets and you can close the deal tomorrow night, would you rather play if you're Steve Nash, if you're Kevin Durant, if you're James Harden, if you're Kyrie, assuming Kyrie will play in that <laughs> series, do you want to play the Hawks or do you want to play Philly? I want to play Philly. You want to play for? I do. Which, which earlier on, I, I wouldn't have, I would have never said that. But here's the reason why: Nets have been getting hammered inside. I mean, just, just absolutely abused. And Joel Embiid is a big time player, big time inside player, but he is not going to control an entire game uh, the way the Hawks have their depth inside. Hawks have a lot of belief in themselves. It's them against the world right now. They won a game they never should have won, okay? And quite honestly, I don't want to pick on Doc Rivers because I think he's a great guy and I think he's a decent coach. But he has had way too many deer-in-the-headlights moments for a guy who's won a championship. And I kind of like in a tight spot going against a guy like him as opposed to Nate McMillan, who's playing with house money right now. We go back to before um, the Hawks played the Knicks, and you were spot on. You were talking about not just guys like Trey Young and Capella that everybody knows about, but you mentioned John Collins, who's had a really big playoff run, not just against the Knicks, but now against Philly as Absolutely. well. Um, you mentioned Bogdanovich, who I guess a lot of people know, uh, and people Tend to forget Gallinari, the former Nick, is still on the Hawks. So yeah, there's some talent there. Let's let's uh let's take a look out west though, Mike. I, I think it's really interesting that um 
after being down 2-0, the Clippers have now come back and won three in a row in that series out west. And with Kawhi getting hurt. Exactly. You know, it's it it's that that story about Paul George. Is it playoff P? Is it, you know, another word that they called him last year, P when he didn't show up? You know, he's 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 played tremendous. 37 oh. last night, 16 rebounds, five assists. Big time. He was Paul George and Ringo last night. That that's great. He that was a man's effort and a no, man's game. For no him. question. Yeah. No question. Um, so we mentioned the Knicks just a couple minutes ago, Mike. And listen, you know, it's it's kind of borderline too late to really dig into that series. I mean, it ended a couple weeks ago. So I, I think the couple most important questions, at least to me, um, coming away from that series where, hey, listen. You thought, I thought, I think most people thought um, it was going to go a little bit further than five games. I'm going to sound really silly and ridiculous asking, but I have to ask anyway. Does Tom Thibodeau take a hit coming off that series? He's got to take a little bit of a hit. I mean, it, he was the coach of the year in the NBA for good reason. I mean, he, he, he took a team that was such an underachieving group last year, instilled energy, defense, everything you're looking for, the intangibles. Uh, you know, and, and Julius Randle was the most improved player in the NBA by far. So you have to give him and the coaching staff really so much credit. Uh, but in, in in a five-game scenario there where he was obviously really outcoached, uh, he, he does have to take a little hit. A little, a little shine is off for him. Uh, I'm not going to kill him. People were saying, oh, that, that result was a disappointing. That was, you know what, yeah, at the end of game five, Nick fans were disappointed because the team that had shown themselves all year long, guts, intensity, defense, they looked just, you know, overwhelmed by the moment. Uh, but Thibodeau, he's the man for the job. Uh, he'll figure it out. What the Knicks need more than anything else, they got to get a playmaker. Yeah. Need a playmaker. So um, we know that Randall takes a little bit of a hit coming off the series. You and I previewed the series. We said, hey, great news, everybody. Uh, Julius Randall scored 37 points a game this, this year against yeah, the— what was uh, that worth, huh? Yeah, that was worth nothing. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, Mike, you, you're being triple team. Get the get the ball out of your hands. I mean, my goodness gracious. You're going to wait till there's five guys on you and then sure. try to, to pass out? And, and, and one of the things that I thought was the most telling— you and I talked about it in the middle of the season. I asked you, I said, why is my power forward leading my team in assists <laughs> at, at over 10 assists a game? You know what Julius Randle had in that series in terms of assists? How many? Four assists a game. Wow. Four assists a game. Yeah. And R.J. Barrett, you and I talked about him in terms of his scoring average and percentages starting to inch up. Uh, he was inching toward the high teens and i think i remember you saying something along the lines of hey we can count on him for a 20 spot average 14 points in the series so he takes a hit so i'm gonna make you uh the gm of the knicks going into next season who stays who goes can can i have a little bit of that salary as well before <laughs> i start doing this uh who stays and who goes well i'll take it in miller's oh, okay. out by your right. bro i appreciate that hey listen i'll take it um that's a great question you have so many possibilities here uh expiring contracts different things um let's let's look at this right away obviously julius randall he got to bring him back he stays he, he stays he stays um you had mentioned earlier uh when we were talking about rj barrett 
what do you, you know, do you trade him right now? Do you keep and build with him? Um, I was not earlier in the year. I wasn't all that sold on him being uh, really a major force for the Knicks going forward, but I saw a lot of development in his game later on. And, and, and he really took it upon himself to start going to the basket free throws. We talked about, I think back in January percentage improved. Um, he, he, he's a young, I mean, he's just 20 years old. Um, I'm, I'm going to keep him as well. And You're going to keep RJ. I'm going to keep RJ. Okay. Because the thing is, Mike, but I am going to trade who? Obi Toppin. I'm going to trade Obi. Okay. All right. So here's if the I thing. can get something for him. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know that just with Obi, um, you're going to get a lot. You're going to have to package Obi with RJ to me. Uh, I had this conversation with a Nick fan friend of mine who said, no, I'm not giving up RJ. And I said, but listen, you're expecting to get quality in here. You have to give up quality. So um, the guy that I think you and I had talked about, maybe we didn't yet, um, getting in here is the guy everybody wants in here, Damian Lillard. What do you think the Knicks are going to have to give up to get Damian Lillard in here? And is it possible? I don't know if it's possible. I mean, you're going to have to give up, obviously, a ton of picks, which they have. You're going to have to give up your best young player, R.J. Barrett. Uh, it really depends on Portland's. What about quickly? You willing to part with him? You got to give him up, too, in that deal. I, yeah, you're, you're mortgaging your future. You are. Listen, to get a guy that good, absolutely. Um, to get a Bradley Beal, you might not need to throw in three. You know, it quickly might be okay. It, it's just those type of guys bring back such capital that it, it it's almost – I don't know if, if if the Knicks have the kind of talent to, to go that direction. It really depends, you know, Portland, are they going to rebuild – if they're in a true rebuild, then the draft picks and young players are going to help. Uh, Washington, they don't look like they're they're really in in a rebuild at the moment. Um, they've they've parted ways with Scott Brooks, somewhat surprising, uh, but they finished strong. So they they, uh, they they're not a rebuilding mode type team down there. They they never have been. Um, I think you'd have a better shot with Lillard. But uh, do you want to in Portland? Fire Terry Stotts, get rid of Lillard. I mean, who's going to go to the games? They have a great fan base, but you want to watch that? Yeah, I'm, I'm already hearing, and I don't know if I got this right, that the Lakers put together a package for Lillard that included, I mean, some really good young players yeah. and heavy, heavy draft picks and were rebuffed by Portland. They, they were. Um, you know, let, let's look at this in a month or so when when the draft comes down and, and uh, you know, who's, who's upset and who's not. You know, we, there was – Word today. I don't want to go here uh, for too much, but um, Zion Williamson unhappy. You know, all these guys. You know, everybody's trying. It's like a yeah, game of chess. Uh, what's he unhappy with ownership? He's with, unhappy. Hey, listen. You know what? It's all about the brand. <laughs> they fired the. He's on his third coach in three years. I wouldn't be very happy with that myself, quite honestly. Um, you know, but he, he he's got he's got people around him. It's all about setting it up for the future. But just to put a put a wrap on on the next thing, just for one second, I heard somebody make. What I thought was a really good, very simple, but very salient point, Mike, which was this. They said, hey, you know what? Um, it was great that the Knicks played hard every night. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, you as a fan, you should expect to see that every night. But in the NBA, unfortunately, we don't. Yeah. All right. But but the point this person made was that once the playoffs started, everybody plays hard. <laughs> so, I mean, did you and I get sort of suckered uh, with a little bit of fool's gold uh, and take him for a ride this year with the Knicks? It's possible. I mean, did they overachieve based on, you know, playing 
that style every night to have to get to where they were? Probably. Did they perhaps run out of gas? I, I don't know. But you know what? I, I think in the playoffs when you're talking about half-court stuff, because uh, it always is, no matter how how these teams run and go, um, it's half-court. They, they, they were completely overmatched in the half-court defensively. Uh, they couldn't stop Trey Young. The, the guy had his way. Uh, what I was told years and years ago as a basketball coach by, by one of my mentors, never, ever let the best player on the other team beat you. And the Hawks did a masterful job of taking Julius Randle out of the equation and saying, hey, okay, you know what? Derrick Rose, yeah, go ahead, take over. R.J. Barrett, can't whatever, whatever you can do, if you in your first time in the playoffs, if you can step up, I mean, they, they, if you were going to write the book on how to defend and play the Knicks, just look at what the Hawks did. All right. So I've beaten on you about the Knicks enough, Mike. It's, it's okay. time for me to give you an opportunity to pu uh, puff your chest out here a little bit. And the way we're going to do that is we're going to talk about your favorite team, a team that is definitely overachieving right now. Uh, that's the New York Mets. To do that with us is our brand New, first time joining the show, Mets reporter. We welcome him to the show, Chris Caputo. Hey, Chris, Mike and Mike, how are you tonight? How you doing, guys? Doing well. All right, great. Uh, good to have you on. The first thing I want to ask you is the first thing I want to bring up with every Met discussion, and that's what is going on with Jacob deGrom. Now, we've seen Chris uh, two or three times now for him leaving starts early with little nagging injuries and, you know, them saying, hey, it's no big deal, and him saying, hey, it's no big deal. What is going on with Jake right now? Well, I think it's different things each time. And, uh, you know, when you're so dominant, sometimes you can pitch a little bit different. Last time was right flexor tendonitis. He's had some back issues. But he said that he's gone through some elbow issues and been able to get through it in the past. Um, but – it's a little bit worrying when the guy throws three, five shutout innings. Uh, looks like he's ready to throw a no-hitter. And the next thing you know, he's got to come out. Uh, the last time he talked, he did say he wants to compete. Um, but the discussion does need to be had of do we just shut him down for two to three weeks at a time to take all these issues and maybe put it to the side. But who's to say in two to three weeks that those issues aren't going to come up again? Um, it looks like maybe... He's on track to pitch Monday. They did talk about how he threw in between starts. He did his normal routine today. He had a little side session. He's taking uh, some ground balls at, he's at first base. He's um, and if you guys remember, he's batting you know the best batting average, batting about four twenty five on the team. So you got to have him in the lineup. He's his best uh, batter in the lineup most days. I would love to see him pitch Monday. Uh, I coached a guy in Little League, Ian Anderson, who's going to pitch Game One. Degrom's supposed to pitch Game One. I think that would be a great time because there's a lot of seven inning games coming up and that could give him five innings. And then you only need two innings out of the bullpen. That's a great point with, with all uh, the double headers coming up, Chris, you know, you mentioned that um, and, and Ian Anderson, who, uh, who you were, you know, again, you're not name dropping here. That's pretty, pretty impressive stuff that you were able to, uh, to work with a kid like that when he was young. And, and I'm sure you have a lot of pride. So this big homestand, uh, that we're continuing and, and going up and now we're, you know, we're heading on the road to, to play Washington and, and all, just many makeup games coming up. I, I think you would admit as any Met fan would that the contributions 
of Marcus Stroman and, and Taiwan Walker have just been off the charts, especially Walker. I mean, Stroman had it in him, although he was a, a little bit of a disappointment last year to all us Mets fans opting out. Um, but he, he's he's backed up this hawk. Walker as well. Um, you know, with, with the returning guys coming back off the disabled list on the offensive end, um, do you think that uh, in the starting pitching, if if they do shut the ground down for a little bit, that even with Walker and Stroman, you know, overachieving, that we can plug plug the dam, so to speak, with with mix and matching to stay in this, and and you know, is the lead a little bit big enough to be able to do that right now in the division? You know, Mike and Mike, I'm a little bit worried right now. We have 16 NL East games coming up with the Nationals, Phillies, and Braves, who are all 500 or worse, but are we're four and a half to seven games back of us. But the big thing is the Mets have four to seven less games than other teams, and you got. Um, DeGrom and Walker and Stroman are three guys in the top 10 in ERA. The Mets pitchers have a 204 batting average against. So these guys are good pitchers. I'm worried about basically Saturday through Wednesday, the Mets have to play seven games during that five-day stretch. They have three doubleheaders in six days. I am really worried because they're NLA's teams. But I think the doubleheaders favor the Mets. Because of pitching, did you also know that the Mets are 30 and 7 when they score first? They're wow. 27 and 27 and 5 when they score four or more runs. So if these guys like VR and McNeil coming back and all these guys can get them a couple of runs in the first or second inning, I think it can be great. Now, on the other hand, if the Grom gets shut down, I'm worried the Mets go four and six in the next 10 games and we're back at the 500 mark and we're worried about keeping first place. Yeah, those are some good points. You know, I'd be remiss, uh, Cap, if I didn't mention the contributions of Edwin Diaz, who's really come back strong this year and seems like he's uh, reassumed the role of, of a top closer in all of baseball, not just in the New York area or uh, the National League. But with all these doubleheaders, Let's say the Mets do get out to leads or whatever else. I know the the bullpen shortens up because it's only seven inning games, but you can't trot him out there, you know, game after game, day after day. Um, does that worry you at all that he might need a rest and we got to go to somebody else to close games? You know, I it coming back. Uh, you know, I'm I'm not going to really depend on Seth Lugo all that much, although he has looked pretty pretty good. Uh, but you know, coming off the injury. Anybody else who you can see maybe stepping in there and closing the game other than than Lugo and where you don't want to hold your breath? I mean, they would throw May out there. I have to give some credit to uh, Jeremy Hefner. I mean, if you watch Trevor May one night, it looks like he has never pitched <laughs> in uh, the major leagues. And the next day, they're working on little tiny things that you don't see where he's pitching tips and, uh, excuse me, tipping pitches and things yes. like that. And then next thing you know, he goes one, two, three. So their pitching coach has done a phenomenal job with the number one staff. I could see May going out there. I am not a big Jacob Barnes fan, even though he's got two saves for them. Um, I like Aaron Loop in the in this those little situations, but in those doubleheaders, it's tough. But you got to remember, guys, when you play doubleheaders, every single time you're allowed a twenty seventh man. So the Mets can pull up on Saturday, Monday, and Friday, a new pitcher each time. And that guy might be a long relief guy. It might be a spot starter. They just picked up a guy from the Giants who actually was in the Mets organization by the name of Nick Tropiano. Um, he might throw for them. I'm not a Gisselman fan, but they can throw them out there. 
Uh, Sean Reed Foley is the guy that I see going long. Let's say DeGrom pitches on Monday, goes two innings. Sean Reed Foley can throw five innings and get him through. Um, and they got one more guy that they might throw as a spot starter, let's say Monday, let's say next Friday, uh, Jared Eikhoff, a former Philly. See, th- these are the kind of tidbits, Mike, that as a Met fan, we need no, some, this is great. some inside stuff, which is, which is great, and we appreciate that. Uh, finally, on my end, Chris, you mentioned Gesellman. Uh, you know, a couple of years back, in fact, you and I went to a game. We sat basically on on the on, on the front row on and the what, dugout. Yeah, if you remember this game, we watched him pitch in that game, and to me, I thought found his a David Wright autograph ball. That there day we too. go. Yes, I thought Gesellman that day was electric. I thought he had the right attitude. I thought he was going to be big time. I know he he had some injury issues, but just everything about him screams he doesn't want to be on the mound. Is it a you know? Um, do you see anything in, in the guy's body language or anything else? Just it's the hair. Well, yeah, the hair as well. But, you know, as someone who had so much promise to wear now, he's 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 kind of an afterthought almost in terms of the, the future of this team. I think the injuries, um, sometimes you just need a fresh start. And I think he's just got to go elsewhere. I think he's just hit too many times where he's been. Yeah. Yeah. I lost the match. You know, you, you become a spot starter. You go to the bullpen. We need you here. We need you there. I just think he hates being the guy that comes in the game when they're down four nothing in the third inning. And then it's, you can't get him back the rest of the time. I'm not big on him, but there's some other guys in this bullpen who have really stepped it up. I mean, these who would, I mean, even Lucchese, his numbers don't look great, but he could go out there and pitch great. We could sit here and talk about Peterson. If I get Peterson six innings, one hit, that means he can do it at some point. Right. But it's the other days when he can't find the plate that you sit there and go, who is this guy? But you look at this starters, you got Lucchese, Peterson, Walker, Stroman. We're not even talking about Carrasco hasn't thrown a game. Maybe in August, you get back somebody like Syndergaard. I mean, they have so many options moving forward that if they can get through the all-star break and stay seven or eight games over 500, I think they could start to pull away. You know, it's funny, Chris, uh, a guy like me, who obviously I'm paying a lot of attention to the NBA and the NHL right now. And when I do get a chance to watch baseball, I'm watching the Yankees because I'm a Yankee fan. Um, But, you know, I I keep look I keep keeping an eye on the Mets and I'm wondering how they're doing it. They're still four and a half, five games up um, with guys that I never heard of. So bring us up to speed on some of these guys we might not be uh, quite as familiar with, the Brandon Drury's, the Jose Peraza's. I mean, Mason Williams, I thought that was the guy from Classical Gas. You know, Ian Anderson, I thought was the guy from Jethro Tull, for goodness sake. What are you, you, collecting rock musicians now? No, but seriously, Chris, bring us up to speed on some of these guys that the more casual fan might be a little bit less familiar with well the guys that i think you're seeing you know mason williams is kind of like the um a little bit better version of uh juan lagaris that they had had great in the outfield um unfortunately i think he's going to be the odd man out because if you haven't heard albert amora jr who crashed into the wall um he's coming back this weekend okay um jeff mcneil is back this weekend um so conforto's starting some He's supposed to be back next week. Nimmo soon. I think the guy who's going to be the odd man out who will lose his starting role when he comes back is J.D. Davis. Because I think McNeil is coming back as a full-time second baseman, and you cannot sit Jonathan VR. He is unbelievable at this time. He needs to play third base every day. 
And, you know, these other guys in the outfield, they kind of keep them going. You know, the Mason Williams, they do well. I think a great pickup. And here's the thing. You, you guys don't even know who's doing the deals for the Mets anymore. I mean, yeah, you got Sandy exactly. there, but people don't even know. This guy, Billy McKinney, yeah. is a diamond in a rough. The guy's got speed. He can play the outfield. He's like a 25-year-old Jay Bruce, you know? It's crazy how the Mets can kind of get guys, put them in there, and do well. Now, can they get shut out every once in a while? Yeah. But as I said, if the Mets can put up four runs or more, 27 and five, I think if they put up six runs or more, they're like 29 and three. It's unbelievable how when they score, the starters do their job and the bullpen finds a way to shut them down. Now, when they don't score early and the Mets have only scored in the first inning, I think like 20% of the time, you worry. You really do worry. Yeah, McKinney's bet, uh, actually batting fifth tonight, Chris. So uh, obviously they think a lot of him. I want to ask you, though, about Luis Rojas. You know, after all that uh, situation with Beltron, I think a lot of Met fans and casual or even ardent baseball fans thought that Luis Rojas was kind of a uh, – you know, a placekeeper. I mean, he was he was a guy that was going to be here until you could get somebody better. But if you look at some of the, um, you know, issues he's had to navigate through this year, I mean, between the firing of Chili Davis, the little dust up between uh, McNeil and Lindor. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's 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 navigated a lot of that with a cool hand, uh, lost a lot of regulars, and still kept the team on top. What's your impression of the kind of job he's doing? I think he's always going to get ripped here or there for some decisions he's making. Um, you know, keeping Jerry Ruiz familiar in the other day for two innings. Um, I, I don't think it was the right move, but sometimes your hands are tied by the lack of bullpen and you're not going to be able to bring somebody in. And sometimes you just go that extra route. I can't really judge him on last year with COVID and guys opting, opting out and they just never really had a shot. I think for the most part, what the guys like is he's been around, he coached them in the minors, and he's a player's coach, which basically means, you know, he listens to them, he understands the game. What I think he needs to do is, and I don't know if this is true, if he is really, truly in charge of the lineup to kind of keep it consistent every day. So these guys know when they come in, I'm batting first, I'm batting third, I'm playing third base, I'm playing first base. To start throwing McNeil in the outfield one day and J.D. Davis here, and now we got the needle behind the plate, but McCann's going to play first base. That's not good. They need consistency. And, you know, um, you know he kind of follows the Felipe Alou being part of that, uh, that family. So I think he understands the game and the guys are starting to respect him. And I don't think he's going anywhere. All right, Chris, fantastic job. It was great, great chatting job, with Cap. you. Uh, we'll have you again uh, next time, and, and have a great weekend. All right, let's go Mets. All right, and this is unbelievable. We got open stadiums now, 100% capacity, so this is going to be really good. I hope you guys enjoy the baseball season just as much as you're enjoying the other sports. Absolutely. Thanks, Thanks so much, again, Cap. Chris. Great having you on, bud. Thanks. Talk to you soon. All right, be well. All right, Mike. So I guess that leaves you and me, and I guess that leaves just one team for you and me to talk about. <laughs> the, Red, the Red Bulls of New York? <laughs> I might need a Red Bull to have to talk about the New York Yankees. I'll tell you, Mike. Um, you know, this is the analogy I can make if you want me to make one, all right? Sure. Um, did you ever, back in your young single days, you were quite a Romeo, I, oh, I understand. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Did you ever really try hard 
to get a woman interested in you. <laughs> um, and you were doing everything. You were pulling out all the stops. You were like, I, I have to get this girl. I have to get this girl. And by the time she actually started becoming interested, you lost interest. I mean, that was this is basically the Yankee season. Um, the pitching was great at the beginning. The lineup was absolute garbage. And now it's completely turned around. Yeah, it, it's amazing. Well, you're you're giving me a lot of credit. You're you're assuming that somebody <laughs> reciprocated the interest. Uh, no, but I know I know what you're doing with that. Yeah, it, I've never seen anything like it, especially with the uh, you know the pitching depth. Of course, wasn't there, but they overcheated. Then then you get got some injuries. Kluber, you know, through through the game of his life, and then all of a sudden he's he's gone. So unfortunately, you, you hate to see that. Um, but it, it's just like they can't get out of their own way. Each time they get a little momentum, base running, you know, blunders and base running's been horrendous. It, it is. That's the one constant all season long. Absolutely. And um, you know, can uh, is it easy to go back to Aaron Boone and say, you know, whatever else? I I don't know. I don't think he's the problem. You know, it it it's just it's hard to watch. And I yeah, for you for you Yankee fans, I you know I do. I I, I feel badly for you. Yeah, I mean, you know, when the offense finally started getting in gear. The pitching started falling apart. And listen, I mean, you brought it up with me in the offseason, right? We talked about both guys together. Corey Kluber, I was enthusiastic about it. I said, sure. hey, you know what? One Upside. year, $11 million, great signing, great signing. And then you brought up Jamison Tayo. <laughs> and both of us thought, hey, listen, any guy who's named after a whiskey, yeah, you can't <laughs> be all bad. I mean, let's go. Uh Mike, is it time to pull the plug on the Jamison Tyone experiment? I mean, the guy is one and four. He's got an ERA. You ready for this? Five and three quarters. Yeah, I, I, I think it is. But what are you going to replace him with? It's a shame because, you know, Luis Severino was kind of on track and then he blew, basically blows out his groin, you know, in a, in a uh, rehab start. So when and if he's coming back, what's the trade market like? Boy, I don't know. I think, you know, if if. If Tyon at least is healthy enough to give you the innings, you got to trot him out there. But if you can find something a little bit better, yeah, I mean, it's just it's slim pickings at the moment. You make a you make a great point. If they had anybody to replace him in the rotation with, he'd be replaced right yeah. now. I mean, you're you're running guys like Michael King out there, okay? Um, nice enough guy. Pitched a good game last just night. Not got ready a, yet? Yeah, got a triple play in that game. So that game <laughs> that game last night actually was watchable. Yes. I couldn't watch any of it because <laughs> I was glued to the Islanders and the Nets game. Was the third option of the evening? Yeah, I mean, you know, so I was watching like you know ten seconds of it at a clip. Um, so, you know, and, and here's the thing. I mean, we've talked about Jordan Montgomery. He's basically uh, the Giancarlo Stanton of pitchers. He's either um, untouchable or like he's given up four he, runs in the first. Yes, he he's like a six flags roller coaster. Yeah, I, I mean, and and, and Seb, um, not Severino, but um, Herman, yes. we talked about. We talked about Herman. Herman is a guy, he was terrible at the beginning of the season. They sent him to the alternate the site. They got him straightened out. They brought him back. He was really good. And then he started falling apart again. So you have nobody to replace Tyone. And you mentioned Severino. Severino, uh, yeah, yeah, he had a setback. He always has a setback. I mean, this guy is never on the field. That's true. So, you know, Yankee fans have started to ask questions like this. And let me ask you this question. I, even think, though I think you're going to ask me the question I was going to ask you, but go right ahead. <laughs> so ask me. Okay. All right. Is it time 
to part with Aaron Judge <laughs> because you got to pay him the kind of money next year for a guy who's who's not on the field as much as you would like. Did ten, I ask the right question? Ten shows, and this guy and I know each other well. We're asking each other the same question. We didn't plan that, folks. Um, so this is the discussion I start to hear um, in the last couple of weeks from Yankee fans. Is it time to move on from Aaron Judge? Here's what I say. No. I'm not moving on from Aaron I agree with you 100%. And, and next question they would ask me is, well, who else are you going to move to get back value? And there's one guy I point to, and I don't want to move him, but it might be time to think about it. Hmm. I don't want to guess because, you know, I'm, I'm a Mets guy, so you lay it on me. Glaber Torres. Yeah. Yeah. Glaber Torres, to me, Mike, doesn't really fit on the Yankees. He doesn't fit their infield. He's not a shortstop. He's thinks he's a slugger. So if I'm a general manager who thinks I'm a lot smarter than Brian Cashman, who thinks that my coaching staff is a lot better than Aaron Judge's coaching staff, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to trade for Gleyber Torres. I'm going to give you the moon, the stars, and Lake Michigan for Gleyber Torres. And I'm going to say... I'm going to turn Gleyber Torres, one, into a second baseman, two, back into a hitter. Right. And I'm going to be in Gleyber's ear every single day and say, Gleyber, the worst thing that ever happened to you is you hit 38 home runs in a season, a third of them against the Orioles, by the way. Um, that's the worst thing that ever happened to you. You should be the guy who's hitting 300 every year, or at least 285, Mike. He's he yeah. started to pick it up a little bit. He's he's in the 260s, very low RBI um, totals, very low home run totals, which is okay with me. I don't sure. want him hitting home runs. We have too many right-handed, all-or-nothing hitters. I mean, Judge, Stanton, Sanchez, Voigt when he gets back. That's four without batting an eye, I can name. So you know what? Um Here's a couple things. Number one, trading deadline, not until August 31st this year. Right. Gives you some time as a GM to figure out if you're going to be a buyer. Am I going to be a buyer? Am I going to be a seller? And the Yankees should never be sellers. But if you're going to be a seller, you have a little bit more time to figure out. If you want to sell, here's what I want to sell. Here's Gleyber Torres. What are you giving me? Absolutely. He really is. You're 100% right. The most realistic and valuable trade ship that they have. Yeah. And I mean, you know, you look at some of these offensive numbers up and down the lineup, Mike. DJ LeMayu, Yankee fans don't like to get on DJ LeMayu, and I don't. But Mike, we're in the middle of, the, of June, and the guy has 16 RBIs. I mean, that's not possible. It, it's shocking to be as, as solid and good as he was last year in those circumstances to be so poor this year. I mean, the guy was hitting for the last two seasons he was on the Yankees, and I, I realized last year was shortened. Um, he hit 384 with guys in scoring position, and for most of this year, he's been down around um, two between 200 and 220 with guys in scoring. That's not good enough. No, no. I mean, the average is inching up to the, again the 260s, but I mean, we that's need not some... what you. That's not what you paid him for. No. no, and I mean, you know, I don't want to pick on on poor Brett Gardner. Brett Gardner's 37 years old. All right, you brought him back for one year for $4 million, but Mike, do you want to take a guess how many RBIs Brett Gardner has? Now, what's today's date? It's June 18th, June 18th. right? June 18th. Brett Gardner has, are you ready for this? No, you take a guess. 
Let's have some fun with this. How many RBIs does Brett Gardner have? Brett Gardner has 12 RBIs. Not even 10. Oh. He's still in single digits, oh. Mike. Unless he drove in a run last night, which I don't think he I did. I don't think so. He has eight RBIs. Now, listen, again, Brett Gardner's not an RBI guy. He should be a table setter. But, I mean. Is that more of an indictment, though, on Clint Frazier, though, that, that, that he is so badly you know, gone under his expectations as well. You bring up a, a good point with Frank. I thought he was going to be big time. Yeah, I know. Uh, a lot of people did. I think it. he needs to change the scenery as well, not to interrupt, as we were talking with some of the med guys. But he hasn't shown enough to bring back really what you'd want. Right. And, and, and so for the last two, three weeks, you've been running – Miguel Andujar out to left field, who's not a left fielder, no. but again, who started to provide a little punch, a little pop in the Yankee lineup, which is badly needed. Yes, pop, enthusiasm, and, and, exactly. and a little hustle. Yeah, no question. No question. So that's going to do it. Uh, for us folks, for Spot on Sports, uh, great show. We love being here at the new Format Studio in Deer Park. It's a great place. We like working with Michael Anthony, also known as Mr. J12. Fantastic job by him tonight. Uh, we're here at Format's uh, Studio in Deer Park. We want to thank uh, Johnny Sticks, John Santa Maria for hopping on with us. We want to thank Chris Caputo, our brand new Mets reporter. We'll have him back anytime. Our theme music spot on is by Mr. Scott Daly. Our logo art is by Valerie Hanatic, the Jets fanatic. Our engineer is Mr. J12, Michael Anthony. And uh, instead of ending with our usual with Jim Valvano, I'm going to give you that great philosopher, Yogi Berra, who once said, it gets late early these days. New York Yankees, that's a message to you. For Mike Adone, this is Mike Trezor saying so long. We'll see you next time on Spot on Sports.